Now, if we were participating in Eurovision, that's where I would have a problem. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode 123 for the week of June 7th, 2021. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben. Hey Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we'll be talking about the live on tape performances from the Eurovision Song Celebration with our special guest, Bree Booker. We've made it to the off-season, Ben. We've made it to the off-season, Mike. I don't know how things are where you are. I've had a lovely nap. That's good. It's been surprisingly busy the last couple of weeks. I know. Uh, Seems like a good time to just kind of check in, let people know what our plan is for the rest of the year. For starters, you can still hang out with us on Twitter. We are at EuroWhat. We are still very active on there. And I'm sure once Eurovision again starts up again and other random memes pop up that give us the giggles, we will be tweeting from there. In the meantime, it's just all Natalia Gordienko memes all the time. Yeah. And I have a feeling it's probably going to be like that until the ESC 250 and perhaps beyond. So <laughs> Possibly. I just feel very happy that based on who I have in my Twitter follows now, I can see a video pop up on my timeline and go, this is a Natalia meme. I saw the Ikea ducks. Yes. And I'm like, oh, I know where this is going. And I was correct. Yes. And everybody's doing such a good job with the editing. It's fantastic. Great work across the board. Keep up the excellent work. Yes. And if you would like to support our work, we are on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash eurowhat. If Patreon's not your thing, that's totally fine. We are not behind a paywall or anything. So continuing to listen is just as cool. If you want to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. With those reviews, we do see them. They do brighten our day. It's great. Yes. We will have links to all of this stuff in the show description and on our show notes page on our website at eurowhat.com. In terms of the off season, we took last week off and we're in kind of an every other week schedule for the rest of 2021. There's not that much Eurovision stuff happening on a regular enough cadence to have an episode every week. But it's also an opportunity for us to dive into other topics that are Eurovision adjacent or part of Eurovision history. It's a lot of fun. And we have a great back catalog of previous topics that we've covered. You can find that in the Off Seasons episode section of our website. A little bit of news is piled up, so let's clear off the news desk as long as we're here, Mike. The big thing that happened is that Italy won when we last checked in. And now 12 cities in Italy have expressed interest in hosting the contest next year. So just get to watch the fun little Royal Rumble as they figure out amongst themselves who's going to be the host. It's a pretty impressive list of cities. I I did not realize that Italy had this many cities that could be in contention for this. And I feel like there are still others that are missing. It's going to be an interesting summer to see how that decision shakes out. I'm very excited. I think it's also kind of funny that there are 12 cities in contention and only 12 countries that have expressed interest at this point in participating next year. Plan E, each act will be performing from a different stadium throughout Italy. There we go. Yeah, that would be COVID safe since everybody would be pretty spread out. I think that's at least six meters. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be fun to see how these bids shake out. It's going to be a wild summer. Looking forward to that. In terms of other loose ends from this year's Eurovision, there were some reports that Malta spent quite a bit of money on 
their entry this year like more than 650,000 euro that's a lot of euro that's a lot of euro for comparison purposes spain in 2019 they spent about a half million which was a record for them and as one of the big five countries part of the reason that they are the big five is because they're one of the largest financial contributors to the contest so just in terms of scale it's like oof. spain spent half a million dollars on lavenda yeah that ikea doll probably did not come cheap that ikea house is very expensive looks like more than half of what malta spent went toward social media campaigns and that was something that I didn't really experience here, which is understandable because yeah. that, that would really be wasted money if Malta was trying to build up <laughs> if, a social if media If I'm presence. getting Facebook ads for Malta's Eurovision entry, A, that makes sense because Facebook does have my data. They know I am interested. But also, no, put better filters on that. They know that you don't live in a country that votes in Eurovision. So, yeah. uh, so something's wrong here. They may have also been spending some money on odds inflation with the bookkeepers, which is yet another reason why you should not listen to the bookkeepers. Now I have definitive reason to, to say why I don't follow the bookies that much. I had not even thought about the fact that you could, you know, spread a little money over there, get a slightly higher ranking. On the other hand, I've read extensively about the history of payola. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. So this is not that far from that, so I should not be that surprised. In other broadcaster news, Belarus's broadcaster has been removed from the EBU. Oof. Yeah, a statement. In recent weeks, we've been particularly alarmed by the broadcast of interviews apparently obtained under duress. So it's just a big old yikes. Yikes, 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 yikes. For non-Eurovision reasons, so like just on top of what they were trying to do with Eurovision, not great. BTRC has until the end of the week to respond before the suspension comes into effect. But I have a hunch that we might not be seeing Belarus at the contest for a few years. Yeah, things are getting very dicey over there. So hang in there, folks. I would love to see them back in better times. Yes. And of course, Eurovision is not the top priority right now. So no, uh, no, no, no. All right. In terms of other Eurovision things that might not, well, actually, that are definitely not <laughs> that happening. aren't happening. <laughs> yeah. SBS, the Australian broadcaster for Eurovision, announced that Eurovision Asia is no longer a thing. As you may recall, development for that started in 2016, and they announced during the 2017 eurovision song contest that eurovision asia would be happening they didn't give a firm date on that they were just like yes this is going to be a thing and sbs was one of the broadcasters that was in charge of trying to get this thing off the ground they had a handful of countries that were expressing interest even as recently as 2019 they thought that they might be able to put on the event in gold coast in australia but nothing really came of that it proved to be way too much of a logistical enigma to mm-hmm. handle it because there are like way more time zones involved than even eurovision has to deal with and these are problems that existed long before any sort of travel restrictions were in play yeah. language barrier issues transportation issues it was just going to be uh, a tremendous undertaking and i i have to think that the current situation was just the final nail uh, final nail in in a coffin that was already closed most of the way yeah so like melvin was just knocking on the door being like please let me out please let me out (laughs) (laughs) yes although this one would have been really nifty i'm sure there will be something similar to it that will take its place 
Yes. So that's all that's been happening in the last couple of weeks. We'll probably be getting more news about 2022 preparations as the summer progresses. But in the meantime, we have sort of an epilogue to the 2021 Eurovision Song Contest. The weekend after Eurovision, they posted on YouTube a special covering the filmed backup performances for the contest. That was really cool to watch. Our guest, Brie Booker, also watched the special, and she joined us to chat about what we thought of the performances and this year's contest as a whole. Welcome to the show, Brie. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me. How was your Eurovision experience this year? It was great. Of course, I was super excited after waiting two long years. Even if there was crap on the screen, I was still going to watch because Eurovision is back. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I absolutely enjoyed this year's contest for sure. Excellent. How were you introduced to Eurovision? Well, I've always kind of grown up an Anglophile. So you kind of hear it in the British zeitgeist of Eurovision being a joke. I would say around 2010 was when I actually had time and I was like, huh, I see people tweeting about Eurovision and especially it being the early days of Twitter, basically, it was pretty easy to follow along. So I'm in my mid 20s at this point and I'm like, let me just look at this and see what's happening. And I absolutely fell in love with that contest in Oslo. And the oddest moment that made me fall in love with it was the interval act with Madcon and Glow. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of embarrassing to say that I fell in love with Eurovision because of a flash mob, but that was so 2010 and it was so of the time. From then on, I just became obsessed and I've been watching it ever since. Oh, that was my exact experience as well, where it's just like, (laughs) I'm like 90% on board. But then that part in the interval where they're going to all of the home cameras and everybody's starting to participate. It's like, okay, this is really, really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of ashamed to admit that I I cried during a flash mob. But hey, we're here. So it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, someone who is also an Anglophile. Once you discover Eurovision, it fills in jokes from about every classic British TV thing that pops up because all of a sudden there's a Monty Python bit that makes sense. There's a Father Ted storyline. Exactly. That's exactly it. And I also questioned why people made fun of it. It was so eye-opening and so great to see all of these different musical styles, languages. It's a microcosm, really, of the world. And from then on, I didn't think of it as a joke at all. With this year's contest, who were you rooting for? I was actually rooting for France. Italy was my very close second on my Instagram stories. I kept going back and forth between, well, maybe we'll go to Paris. Maybe we'll go to Milan. I don't care. I'll go wherever we go. Oddly, my dark horse was actually Portugal. Oh, really? Yeah, that was one of my favorites, one of my absolute favorites. This year, there were, I'd say, maybe five songs I didn't listen to on repeat, but everything was still great. Everything was quality. Next year is going to be a tough follow-up act. That, yeah. That's going to be fun to watch. So, <laughs> <laughs> Along with that follow-up act is the American Song Contest. The submission website launched in the past week or so. We 
had a slight glimpse into what the rules and possible structure might be. If you're submitting a song, you have to be at least age 16 at the time of submission. So that's consistent with your vision. With the whole states, territories thing, part of the application is that you have to list where you have deep connections and then the producers will decide what state you get to represent. I read that was immediately disappointed. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that choice because what is a deep connection? I once spent nine hours in the Las Vegas airport because of the <laughs> flight delay. Does that mean I can represent Nevada? <laughs> Only if you went on the slots. I'm really worried about the territories aspect. I would like to know what pop culture is like in Guam or the <laughs> yeah, Mariana like, mm-hmm. Islands or these other places. Is it going to end up being whoever gets closest to the location on a map in a game of pin the tail on the donkey? Or are we going to have actual people who have lived experience there? It's going to be the voice, but this person represents American Samoa for some reason. Brie, I know we've been kind of down on the idea of the American Song Contest, but I get a sense from your tweets that you're more in the pro side of, I, of this I'm contest. I'm optimistic. Okay. I'll say that. I'm only that way because I know that since the Swedish team is behind it, they'll handle it well. It's not like they're giving it to Simon Cowell to filter for America and then put up the sanitized product. That's why I have a little bit more faith in it. And also knowing that it won't be necessarily a competitor or really something to compare to Eurovision. It's really just a twist on it. That gives me a little bit of of hope too. But yeah, I feel this way because we're getting kind of our own contest. Now, if we were participating in Eurovision, that's where I would have a problem. (laughs) But yeah, since we're having our own and it looks like it'll generally be a generic American song contest, let's see what happens. NBC's been doing a pretty good job with the music competitions. They've got the voice and Songland was interesting as a concept and if this is kind of a marriage of those two shows it could work i'm getting closer to optimistic i haven't crossed into optimistic yet but (laughs) i am willing to give it a chance i'm trying to be optimistic but also i'm just being very pragmatic Mm -hmm. yeah it's completely understandable and we really don't have a domestic predecessor to compare it to so yeah it's completely understandable to have that wide spectrum of, of feelings I think what I'm most hopeful for is that it is a summer series and not a spring series, because if this is going up against the Eurovision shows, I do not have enough brain space to (laughs) to have (laughs) these two things happening at the same time. Oh, I completely agree. We have to watch Moldova. (laughs) We we need to watch Moldova through the world's tiniest internet connection. (laughs) We have to fight for VPN usage. Mm. Speaking of VPN usage, we got to fire up our VPNs one last time for this Eurovision season for the live on tape performances. The weekend after Eurovision, they showed almost all of the backup performances. The original plan was to show all 39 live on tape performances on YouTube over the course of two specials. Ireland and the United Kingdom declined to participate in that reveal. And for some reason that angered the internet because the internet needs a nap. I I don't know why people were so fired up. Yeah, maybe it's because I'm just a little bit older and I don't have the bandwidth to deal with it. But I didn't see the problem at all with UK and Ireland withdrawing from that. The fandom did get mad about Hoover Phonic last year not wanting to participate in Love Shine a Light. So mm. it's it was pretty expected, that response, but I honestly just rolled my eyes and kept scrolling. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we're getting free Eurovision. It's fine. More content. Why? It's all yeah. good. 
Yeah. The first part was all of the entries that did not qualify out of the semifinals. That ended up being 12 entries total since Ireland didn't participate. And then the second part was almost all of the finalists, the 25 aside from the United Kingdom that made it to the grand final. I liked that we got a sneak peek of where people's heads were at in March and who was very clearly on version one and who was already on not necessarily the final draft, but whatever came right before the final, because there was a lot of stuff that was ready to go in its full form. Thinking about Hoover Phonics insert on my brain, their performance was great. They basically did the same thing that they did in the arena, except that we didn't get the beautiful wide shot of an empty hangar full of lights. Overall, I thought it was great. Extra Eurovision content. To me, it's a peek behind the curtain because they really didn't have to show this to us at all. I really appreciate that aspect. And I was very excited to see what the early concepts were and how they fine-tuned it and translated it for Rotterdam. It was very cool. Yeah, I like the idea of it being a peek behind the curtain. I think I was expecting there to be a more drastic change from the live on tape version to the stage version. I I was surprised at how many of the entries were 80 to 90% of the way there. Except for a couple of entries, there weren't any wildly different concepts from what they did for live on tape to what they ended up doing in Rotterdam. Malta in particular, I think that one had the biggest change oh absolutely and i'm not sure if it was a change for the better I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 so mad at the maltese delegation they done destiny wrong i'm, I'm so <laughs> i'm so bummed <laughs> that one was interesting because there were things i liked about the live on tape that i think maybe would have played better in the arena but they just didn't have this part figured out i liked the staging idea for the live on tape i would have loved a backup dancer or two yeah it did look a little bare without the dancers I thought the dancers were a bit too much in the final version, mm-hmm. but I think, I don't know, maybe with the version one staging, it wouldn't have been so over the top. There's an element of Jim Cass where the vibe is very much, you are bothering me and my girls at the club. True. I think if they played with that idea a little bit more directly like it it felt a little bit like every idea was a good idea and then they never got to the stage after brainstorming where you actually have to pull off post-its from the wall and they're just like nope we've got all the post-its now let's use all of the ideas and it just kind of ended up becoming muddled it is what it is it is what it is going into the semi-final set were there any performances you think would have changed the outcome for any of these acts Hmm. for The non-qualifiers, I would say that Poland, despite the vocals still being a hot mess, um, (laughs) (laughs) the the staging makes up for it in the live on tape. It looks phenomenal. It looks like you're on a set of Tron with a bunch of dads in their 30s dancing around. Like, it's super (laughs) cool. So I think Poland honestly would have kind of gotten the Moldova Moldova performance. Oh, Oh, it was the worst. How did it get worse? I'm endlessly surprised at how the Moldovan entry this year is the one that's had so many moments. Oh, and I love sugar. Absolutely love it. So when I saw it in Rotterdam, I was just like, okay, there's nothing extra. This is really just for the long note. But the live on tape... Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, uh, she didn't even do the note. 
Didn't even no. do the note. Like, <laughs> didn't even do the note. You could see the pain in her eyes. It looked like she had Kirkorov. Oops, I said the K word. It seemed like he was off stage looking at her like, you better dance. Do it. And <laughs> it, it just looked kind of rigid and a little stiff. It, like a little kid being forced to be in a pageant. Yeah. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, poor Mildova, but it's an absolute banger. I just have to keep the video in my head now. Yeah, just, of the just have to picture dancing ice cream cones. Exactly, in a face cake. Yep. Another one that I think was stronger in the live on tape for me was Romania. It felt like they were trying to figure out which settings all of the, the sliders and knobs needed to be on for their performance. They were trying a sweats thing, and then they end up in a dress. And we had been talking about how they had all the elements, but some would be working and others weren't. Having that performance in a much more confined space made it work better. I think that might have also been the issue in Rotterdam, where they were trying to use the entire stage. And I think that's what introduced a lot of the problems. It's a very physical performance, and it's very difficult to do. If they had used that same sort of confinement to their performance, it might have worked a little bit better. It's kind of the opposite problem that I think Croatia had, where in their live on tape, since they were doing it on the Dora stage, that felt much more open and less crowded. I think that was their problem in Rotterdam, where it's like, okay, everything's being confined to the catwalk. So it was not managing their space options to the best of their ability. Something to consider for future contests. I mean, it does not help either of them now, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike, what did you think of what Latvia did with their live on tape? Samantha Tina Warrior Princess. <laughs> My first note is fighter stance. I thought that the performance felt a lot looser. The Rotterdam performance, everything felt really tight throughout all the press conferences and stuff. Samantha kept reiterating, yeah, no two performances are ever the same for me. You never know what you're going to get from me. And I have a feeling that her style just doesn't work with something that is as rigidly planned out as a Eurovision performance. You have to hit your marks because the camera has to see you here and there is no second take. You have to do everything pretty much exactly the same. I have a feeling with these live on tape performances, there wasn't that level of precision required. So she wasn't as in her head, even though I don't think she ever looked like she was in her head, but Mm -hmm. I think there was still an element of that happening in Rotterdam. Oh yeah. And that was another one where I think she benefited from being in a smaller space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They spread out their act so much on that stage. And I think they really could have just brought it in close. I completely agree. Perfect example. The hands on that back graphic fit perfectly on the smaller stage but in Rotterdam tiny little baby hands above her in a circle (laughs) so the smaller stage definitely benefited her I think my biggest issue with Latvia's performance is that you could tell that they didn't give her a lot of money to work with so it kind of looked like it was done on a very strict budget like these are the graphics you get these are the green outfits you get that's it good luck So I think it would have benefited from a few more things, maybe some movement, maybe the background dancer is moving, maybe some pyro, something, because the energy just didn't match the song. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Also, it seemed like the backing singers were doing a lot more in the live on tape performance. Like You could actually hear their vocals and they weren't as weird of props. I, I think they were always intended to be kind of weird props, but they really felt out of place in Rotterdam. Samantha Tina stand club over here. I get it. They did my girl wrong. They, they should yeah. have thrown the bank at her. 
maybe Latvia will set up a Patreon or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Go fund me for Eurovision 2022. There we go. Czech Republic. uh, Mm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I know. I think this shows that it was unfortunately doomed and it breaks my heart because I love Benny Cristo so much. I think he's so fun. But his live on tape as well as Rotterdam just seemed like it was a little too lax and a little bit too chill. And it didn't seem like the performance aspect was there. It wasn't there for a show. Like, it was just like, okay, I'm going to give you a performance on MTV in the middle of spring break. So it's unfortunate, but I'll still play Oh My God. I'll still rock it. It's such a great song. And I don't know why there was so little color in the performances. It's such a colorful song. And I think also the music video, particularly the parts drawing on the Simpsons references, where there's just so much brightness to it. And every single performance was just so drab. Who is the director on this video and why were they not in in the room when we were figuring out the live performance? Yeah. Exactly. I think it was interesting to see when acts filmed in the same space Lithuania built a whole mini stage, like a whole replica, just saying, hello, Vilnius is ready. I think that was the thing that caught me off guard. There were groups of countries that were all meeting at different venues to do their live on tapes as a group, which makes sense from a budget standpoint and a timing standpoint and stuff. But I think it takes away from the goal of everybody being on a level playing field because that was not a level playing field. No. (laughs) And I was not expecting that. This means they had their staging figured out probably as far back as January, if not earlier. Going back to, Brie, what you were saying about Poland's performance and the Tron setup and like really being set up for that space, Ukraine's performance made so much more sense to me. The whole Running Man sequence, it really did seem like it was a three-dimensional thing that was happening that... I think got lost on the Rotterdam stage with how the screens were broken up. Oh, I completely agree. It felt so immersive. And I had the special privilege of be- of consuming some treats beforehand. Ah. <laughs> and, um... Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when it kicked in close to Ukraine, it was amazing. I was just yeah. like... Wow. Even better. Excellent timing. (laughs) Exactly. Excellent timing. I fully enjoyed Ukraine's staging because it literally felt like you were in that trippy Ukrainian exclusion zone. This will not be a surprise, but I enjoyed Iceland's performance. I spent a decent chunk of it going, there aren't that many rooms with that high a ceiling in Reykjavik. Have I been in this one? (laughs) <laughs> uh, and, I, and I think the answer is no. It, it was not like the contemporary art space that I have been in. I thought they did a great job of translating what they did on the stage to the venue they had. Yeah, I think my only issue with that one was the lighting wasn't able to highlight the band as mm. much. It seemed mm-hmm. like it was much more focused on Dothy, which I guess kind of makes sense. But like their Team whole thing philosophy. is the whole thing yeah. is, is is like when we're at Eurovision, we are a band. I'm just glad that they were able to use their rehearsal performance instead of having to use their backup performance. I was very glad that we got some glass cases of emotion from Serbia. <laughs> now that performance was so different. So different. They definitely cleaned it up. I'm glad that we got the version that we got to see in Rotterdam, because even though this was really good, it's still very busy. I used to be a choreographer a long time ago, Mm -hmm. and looking at the blocking for this, it's a miracle that Sonia, Ksenia, and Ivana were able to sing (laughs) and run around and then think about all their steps, think about how to get on the blocks, 
think about how to avoid the pyro. Like it's so busy and the way that they consolidated it for Rotterdam between that live on tape filming and what we got is just a testament to how hard they work really just to make these performances viewable and amazing. But yeah, that was a completely different performance. Watching this live on Saturday, just the internet's reactions to seeing that Greece's dancers had faces. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the green screen really saved Greece. <laughs> yes. Of just just like when you can see everybody doing those, you're like, oh, this is kind of bad. Yeah. Stefania still has a little bit of that trepidation behind her eyes. I think that you could see when mm. she's a little nervous. So that'll come with time. She's still really, really young. And the fact that she was selected for Eurovision twice or actually three times, counting Junior, she'll grow into being more comfortable. But yeah, that green screen definitely saved them unpopular opinion maybe but i don't think they would have qualified without that green screen really yeah the song is great but it's just the performance was very blah i think the song is great i thought her vocal was fantastic and all of the choreography and the green screen stuff was distracting from all of that the green screen did add a technical factor that you had to nail the positioning of the green screen as we saw in rehearsals because if you didn't it just it really looked bad it just actively looked bad and they were trying to blame it on the smoke machine for uku during the semi (laughs) and it's still messed up during the final so (laughs) yeah (laughs) Mm, yeah so I ended up rewatching the contest with a friend who missed out on my Eurovision party. Rewatching that performance, I was like immediately reminded of a series on Fox in the 90s where a masked magician would walk you through how various tricks were done. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is in, in its entirety on Netflix now. Don't watch it. It's incredibly misogynistic mm-hmm. in a way that 90s Fox was and that I had forgotten about. The entire point of that is that performance is really good at misdirecting your eyes so that you're focusing on Stefania and not the 20 people scrambling to get a green screen on stage. And the dancers and the live on tape kind of felt like they were, it was a lot of them. It, it felt really, <laughs> really close to when they really had a kind of a wide stage to work with. So maybe that's part of, it was maybe me to have my choreographer brains are like, move over, scoot, get into a window. Stefani is great. I, I love her voice, but the, the live on tape performance just didn't really do anything for me. Russia really stood out to me. Yes. Loved that live on tape. And it's a good example of how, even though it was different from Rotterdam, it still would have done really well if this is what we had just seen. So Manija can do no wrong in my eyes. She's amazing. And I'm really curious what the turnaround time was between the selection and that performance being filmed. Because oh, I, right. Because yeah. Russia was just like, surprise, but we're having a selection. Yeah, that was very last minute. And I know that they had a little bit of extra time, but I thought it was end of March that they needed to get their live on tapes submitted. So they only had like three weeks to get that all squared away. It was different enough from the national final performance that... Well, yeah, because they had the video clips of all the women singing the yeah. song. So and the fast. tall dress instead of the, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. rolling babushka dress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think I ended up liking the rolling gigantic babushka dress with the door a little bit more. The Monty Python-esque visual of that was yeah. just great. <laughs> Put some yakety sacks behind it and just like speed it up. And yeah. <laughs> watch Manisha roll on a loop. That would be fun. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and there was that clip that was going around uh, yes. the day after the final of the stagehand hopping in and then driving off. And it's like, oh, just like, <laughs> the Mario Kartification of Eurovision this year. It continues. 
Even though I knew that Florida was probably not going to appear in the San Marinese performance, having that moment of is Florida going to be here like on a like like are they are they just is it just going to be like on a, like an iPad it like live from FaceTime? Yeah. <laughs> and it was just Jenny B with a voice recorder. That's yeah. all it was. <laughs> It was an illusion. It was the Phantom of the Flow Rider. Yes. I, I called it. You know what? They probably would do that. Or Valentina. Mm-hmm. Valentina would definitely sign up to have one of those weird, creepy voice disguisers and yeah. say, I'll do the rap for you. <laughs> oh, get Sir Hat. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I was going to suggest whoever the winner was on The Mass Singer, San Marino. Ah, so Valentina. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She wins everything in San Marino. She deserves everything. (laughs) Switzerland, that was unique to watch because the choreography was still pretty much the same. But those moving props that we saw in Rotterdam really elevated it. John's tears would have done well, no matter what. Watching his rehearsal footage in Rotterdam, it felt like he was uncomfortable with the choreography. And I was under the impression that it was something that was relatively new. But seeing that it was the same choreography at the live tape, it's like, oh, no, he's been working with this for a couple of months. I'm not sure what to make of that information. I think he was able to turn it around by the time that it actually mattered. There was an article today about how he was really concerned because the platform that he was on in Rotterdam wasn't always secure and could kind of roll around. So maybe that was adding to the <laughs> trepidation in his movements. Cause like, I really don't want to fall off of this Just thing. Like, so. If I make one wrong move, mm-hmm. this is going to the other side of the stage. And I'm on yeah. <laughs> in front of millions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Overall, I did like it. I just wanted something with a BPM over 120 to win this year. Just because we, we, we were off of the pattern of fast song, slow song by Duncan having one two years ago. Speaking of which, Monaskin's performance, I immediately tweeted, okay, so they would have won anyway. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is still great. This is still amazing. And they're just really just all attitude. Like 100%, you get that, I hate to sound so stereotypical, but you get that glam rock, don't care, just cool, very chic attitude from them. And that's really what sells it. Because, I mean, I guess compared to me, these are kids and they're like, looking so cool mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah i i loved it absolutely loved it i want to grow up and be like them <laughs> oh, good. i was also thinking that we're just like someday only born when i was in high school so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are going to be okay. That has been my main takeaway from this Eurovision, where it's like, all right, it, it's going to be in good hands. And right. Like, I, I think mm-hmm. if, if it doesn't last for another 65 years, it's got at least another 20 in, in the tank, I think. So <laughs> I'm so glad that this was not a plan D scenario, because I think the, the overall show would have been kind of a disaster. Yeah, I think they did a really good job with the performances that did have to be on tape. They did a great job of incorporating those in a way where you either didn't realize that was the case until the end, or in the case of Iceland, there was no acknowledgement of it at all. Mm -hmm. The more entries that you had to do that with, the more the seams would have shown. Oh yeah, absolutely. And depending on the running order as well, it would have looked like one of those stair-stepping challenges that you see on an elliptical where like one block is low and then one is middle and then one goes high and then it goes back to the bottom. <laughs> so just in quality, that unequivocal quality amongst the entries definitely would have stood out. I don't think it would have changed the outcome necessarily. I, I still think Italy would have won and, and France would have been a very, very close second. But yeah, that production quality between the entries would have been very stark. 
I feel like a lot of the top five probably would have stayed the same, maybe some shifting in the order between them, but I think that would have still been a pretty solid top five. I'd have to assume that the live on tape thing is probably going to be a permanent addition just for emergency purposes, but yeah, I don't know if I would necessarily want to watch again. I'm not sure if I got enough out of these videos to want to peek again, unless there was something that was radically different between entries. Yeah, I'm fully saturated with Eurovision content now. Mm -hmm. So it's cool. I I don't again, I don't think it'll be something to to revisit. Then again, we've been waiting two years for content. So I know I had at least have been keeping up with rehearsals and every single thing. So I think getting to that point, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess I don't have to rewatch a live on tape that really didn't matter mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. in the long scheme of things. I think there was a novelty to it this year and that this is something that we haven't had before that countries have never had to do before. So it was nice to be able to see it and to see how this was pulled together and to get those little snippets of behind the scenes for each of them. But I think if it is part of things to stay, especially since, yes, COVID is slowly petering out here, but it's definitely not in in the world at large. So I'd see it being a thing. I think it will be less noticeable if it continues to happen. I don't think it's something that we're going to get a special for every year. It may fall into the same category as the semifinal allocation draw, where it's just like, yeah, it's a thing that's happening. We will throw it up on YouTube. You can watch or not, or just read the articles about it afterwards. It's fine. <laughs> like, it's just like, I, I, I don't need to watch Bingo, you know? <laughs> the thing that it seems similar to the home concerts that we got last year, in that those did happen in some form this year, but they were much more spread out. They were Instagram content. They were social media content, where we might get little snippets of them but maybe we won't get the whole thing again that would be an interesting concept and like you said if we do have to resort to having live on tapes that wouldn't be a bad idea just to have snippets of it but a whole show yeah i'm good there's been a lot of talk about the first rehearsals maybe should be closed off to press so that things don't get wildly out of hand as the artists are learning the stage maybe replace those first rehearsal clips with clips from the live on tape since the concept is generally not changing all that much although i guess if the concept does change radically presenting one item and then having the actual product be something wildly different it's just like what what you ordered from amazon what you get when it arrives Uh, (laughs) i'm just picturing a sub wheeling a tv into the press room being like hey hey guys yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna watch MathNet today (laughs) (laughs) no rehearsals for you no no leaking footage you get to watch sounder yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right any other thoughts on the live to tape performances none for me almost everything really stayed the same unless there were just like wardrobe changes and lighting but we talked about the drastic ones so again, it was cool to see it. It was cool to peek behind the curtain a little bit. So yeah, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it for what it was. Bree, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Well, I enjoyed laughing with you, Ben and Mike. So thank you for having me. Excellent. Is, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Nothing in particular to plug. Just follow me uh, on She's So Offbeat on Twitter and Instagram. I talk about everything from Eurovision to Drag Race to wrestling, anything that's on my mind. I I throw shade at it. So follow me there. Awesome. That's going to do it for this episode of the EuroWhat. Thanks for listening. The EuroWhat podcast is hosted by Mike McComb, that's me, and Ben Smith. 
That's me. You can follow the Euro What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. If you'd like to support the show, we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash Eurowhat. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our website at Eurowhat.com. If you'd like to contact us, we're at Eurowhat on Twitter, or you can email Eurowhatpodcast at gmail.com. Next time on the Eurowhat, we're celebrating the one-year anniversary of Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, by taking a look at surprising award season romp with our special guest, Seanan McGuire. 